felt a little weird uh, as there was a large chunk of us not here over Memorial Day weekend, whether you were in Hawaii or South Carolina or doing whatever. Uh, it just felt a little weird. Um, and then Ezra was sick the week before, and then after he completely got over it, Ayla got whatever he had. She ended with an ear infection earlier this week. Uh, hopefully her last ear infection before she gets tubes uh, this Wednesday. She better not get another one before then. Uh, most people uh, had work off on Monday for Memorial Day. Mondays are my days off as a pastor. A lot of you uh, got, to, got to partake in the rest that I get on uh, each and every Monday. Um, and then on Wednesday, uh, Jamie's grandmother, Grammy, passed away. Jamie was uh, pretty close with Grammy, so I encouraged her to go spend some time with family. So she went down to South Carolina on Thursday coming back on Tuesday, and she took the kiddos with her. So I've been doing the whole bachelor uh, thing here uh, for the past couple of days and a few more days uh, to come. I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy my mornings to myself. Uh, I typically spend the first part of my days uh, enclosed in my bedroom where I'm able to read my Bible and pray without any distractions. But I have to stay in my bedroom because uh, typically Jamie and the kiddos uh, are already up, and if I go down into living room or whatever, I'm going to get bombarded uh, with all sorts of love and laughter and distractions uh, from my family. And that's my time where I want to focus on me and my relationship with my Heavenly Father. So since Thursday, I've been able to uh, have that time all throughout the house and not just uh, enclosed uh, in uh, our little bedroom. Uh, but for most people, having a quiet house is a luxury. But after I get through my mornings, I'm ready for some stimulus. Uh, I'm ready uh, for some Interact, noise and interaction. And so I've uh, been missing Jamie and the kids, but glad she was able uh, to go down. And then our high school graduates uh, coordinated their open houses uh, very well. Uh, Tori had hers last weekend, and then Chloe on Friday, Danny yesterday, and Kelsey has one uh, today. So it's been a crazy uh, week in uh, the McLean household this past week. Uh, but here we are now uh, where we are blessed with another privilege and honor to share God's word with his creation. I have the opportunity uh, to preach in front of all of you. And then each week we also get uh, some people who tune in online as well. And so we welcome you, uh, those of you who are watching online, whether live or after the fact. This week, uh, I'm sad, and we'll have one last person uh, watching the message online. As Grammy, uh, she would uh, watch it most every uh, Sunday, either live or recording, and comment on uh, the preaching, saying, what are you talking about, Kyle? Um, <laughs> No, she, thankfully she never said that. Uh, but with that being said, uh, we get to continue our series on the book of Romans. And it really is a tremendous privilege and honor it is that we have to open our Bibles together as a family of believers. We talked a bit about that uh, last week at the beginning of the message and talking about Memorial Day and, and the steep price that was paid uh, so that we can freely come together as a family, as a body of believers and open God's word together. Um, and so I'm elated that we get to uh, do that again this morning. We get to open God's word together as a community, as a body of believers, as a family, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we are uh, resuming our series in Romans, and we are picking up in Romans chapter 10. 
We've been going through the book of Romans for quite some time now, uh, but we are getting ready to round the last corner and we can see the finish line ahead. We'll be getting through uh, verse 10 of chapter 11 today. There's 16 chapters in the book of Romans, but chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all very short, and chapter 16 uh, consists mostly of these uh, different personal greetings that Paul uh, sends to uh, the various people that will be reading this letter. Fortunately, no personal greeting uh, for you and I. Uh, bummer. Uh, but uh, so with, with that being said, we, we are uh, going to be... Going through halfway of chapter 11 today, and with uh, a lot of short chapters ahead of us, and chapter 16 being a chapter we'll cruise through as well, we're nearing the end of this series on the book of Romans. And Paul here, he wrote this letter uh, of Romans to the church at Rome. Paul, he desperately wanted to go preach the gospel message to the people, to, to the church at Rome. Uh, but for whatever reason, he wasn't going to go at this particular time to go preach this gospel message. At a later point in time, he would indeed preach in person uh, in the city of Rome to the church there. Uh, it wasn't, uh, I'm sure, how he uh, imagined it as he was in chains when he was, he was in prison as he w went over into Rome to preach this gospel message. But in the meantime, he was going to write a letter that consisted the gospel message. And, and we progressed through a large chunk, the majority of this gospel message that Paul presented to the church at Rome. Last week, we covered uh, chapter 9, verse 30, uh, through chapter 10, verse 13, and we saw the simple message that everyone, not, not, not just some, not a majority, but everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Every single person who does this, who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart. And, and it's not just a, a faint belief that, oh yeah, uh, God maybe did raise, raise Jesus from the dead. No, it is a sincere belief in your heart, a belief of faith that alters every aspect of your life. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, your Monday is going to look drastically different from the Monday of someone who doesn't believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. If it doesn't look drastically different, uh, then, then maybe, we, maybe we question uh, the belief that is in our heart. But nevertheless, Paul says quite plainly, everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved. No questions asked. And this includes the most vile people on earth. If they call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. If we think of the most uh, evil person in modern history, many people would probably give that title to Adolf Hitler. Um, I think uh, according to the scriptures, if Adolf Hitler were to repent of his sins and confess with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead, that I think God would have grace and extend his grace and mercy for everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. They will be saved. No questions asked. <laughs> that is the abundance of grace that God offers to you and I, to your family, to, to your loved ones. 
and even your enemies as well. He offers that same sort of grace, that same mercy as well. And so this simple message, this simple gospel message, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you call the name of the Lord, then you will be saved. This was an appeal to the Jews as Paul, again, he was writing this letter to the church at Rome, a church that consisted heavily of Jewish influence. This was an appeal to the Jews to leave their, their way of legalism as the Jews, they, they relied heavily on their works. They, they uh, kind of had this concept that if they relied on their works, that they perfectly fulfilled the law of God, they were perfectly obedient, then they would attain salvation. And it's true. It's true. If they were perfectly obedient to God, they would have zero sins to pay for, and they would partake in God's coming kingdom. But outside of Jesus, you know how many Jesus perfectly fulfilled the commandments of God? Nada, zero, not a single person. And so it's foolish to rely on our own works for our salvation. It's a model that does not work for flawed humanity. And this was an appeal to, to the Jews who relied heavily on their works and say, listen up, it's not about our works. It's about God's grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's about his grace. It's not about our works. And all we have to do is to put our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. That is the simple gospel message that Paul has been presenting to this church at Rome. And as, as we continue here uh, in this passage, we're picking up in Romans chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 14. This passage uh, that we're going to cover today, especially here, uh, the latter part of chapter 10, is awfully wordy. Sometimes uh, I love Paul. I love all of his writings. Uh, sometimes he is very straightforward and very concise with, with what he is saying. Sometimes he is awfully wordy, and, and it takes a bit uh, to slow down and, and comprehend and understand what he is saying. So we're going to uh, follow along carefully to decipher what he is saying uh, in response to verse 13. He he closed, we closed off last week where Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Paul picks up in, in verse 14 of chapter 10, and he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so verse 13, Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, they, they, these are not original words from the apostle Paul. Peter, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he said the exact same thing. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And those weren't original words for Peter as well. It's actually a quote from uh, one of the uh, minor prophets, Joel, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does it mean to, to call on the name of the Lord? 
The Greek word used here, the, the original Greek word that Paul would have written uh, is epikaleo, and it can mean call, invoke, or appeal. And, and so essentially, you, you are calling, you, you are appealing to the Lord, you, you are invoking the Lord, you are submitting yourself to a certain authority when you call on that individual or on, on that uh, corporation, whatever uh, the case may be. And so by calling, invoking, or appealing to the Lord, we are submitting ourselves to the Lord. We're submitting ourselves to his rule and authority. And so Paul says, how in the world are we supposed to call on the Lord if we don't first believe in him? If you don't believe in the Lord, there'd be zero reason to call upon him and submit yourself to him when things are going great, but also when things are going as well. You'd have zero reason to call on the name of the Lord if you didn't first believe in him. Oftentimes today, when people have a medical emergency, they call upon their doctor or hospital. They have a belief that their doctor or hospital has the right knowledge, insight, and opportunity to uh, provide relief with whatever uh, medical emergency they have. If they didn't believe that a doctor or a hospital could potentially help, then they wouldn't call on the doctor or the hospital to, to uh, provide assistance in a time of need. And similarly, you must believe in the Lord if you are going to call on him. And if we take it a step further, how in the world are you going to believe in the Lord if you don't first hear of him? You have to hear of something before you can believe in that person or thing. If we were to continue it with the hospital analogy, if you have a medical emergency and, and one would suggest calling on uh, the name of a certain hospital. You first need to believe in that hospital. In order to believe that hospital, you have to know it exists in the first place. If you didn't know 911 exists, that, that emergency hotline, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to call it. Uh, for, for, you wouldn't be able to call it. You wouldn't be able to believe in it because you never heard of it. And so in order to put your belief in the Lord, in order to call upon the name of the Lord, you must first hear of the Lord. Uh, it's common sense there. And if we take it a step further, in order to hear of the Lord, someone must first preach the Lord to you, the, the message of the Lord, the, this gospel-saving message. A more a little tra literal translation for that word preaching uh, is proclaim. Someone has to proclaim the Lord to you in order for you to hear about the Lord. This can be in a corporate worship setting uh, like we find ourselves right now. It can also be accomplished in your home. It can be accomplished over the internet uh, or at your job. You, you name it. There, there are countless opportunities that we have to share the message of the Lord with those around us. And I think this responsibility of proclaiming the Lord falls all on the shoulders of the preacher. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I think that, that cannot be further from the truth. The, 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 this responsibility does not fall uh, on the shoulders of one man. This responsibility falls on the shoulders of the church. This responsibility falls on your shoulders. It is your responsibility to proclaim the name of the Lord to the people that you come into contact with on a daily basis. You've come into contact with thousands of people that I will never get the chance to come in contact with. And that's a special blessing that you have. That also means 
That's a special responsibility that you have. That you have this, you have this great power, that this gospel-saving message is an immense power that each and every one of us have here this morning. And with much power comes much responsibility. And so you have that responsibility to share this gospel message with those around you. For how in the world are your friends and family members and coworkers, how in the world are they going to put their belief in him? They don't first hear of him. And how are they going to hear of him if someone doesn't proclaim the message of the Lord to them? And so that responsibility falls on your shoulders to proclaim this message of the Lord, this message of, the, uh, of salvation, the good news, the gospel message. And so Paul then says, uh, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? In order for someone to, to preach, proclaim, or, or simply, uh, we, we don't need to get real formal with it, just, just simply sharing the message of the Lord, they have to be sent as well. So I encourage you to ask yourself, has God sent you to your specific job to share the message of Jesus with a coworker? Or has God sent you into the life of a friend to share the message of Jesus? You constantly have to be on the lookout for all of these different opportunities that God has sent your way. If you are faithful over these little opportunities that God has sent you, then guess what? God will give you more to handle. For, for you have shown that you've been faithful over these responsibilities, over these opportunities that God has provided you. If you're not faithful over the few opportunities that, that God has provided you to share this message of, the, uh, of the, the gospel, then why would he entrust you with more? That, that would be foolish management uh, on the, the hands of God there. And if we know one thing, God is not a foolish God. He has all wisdom and all knowledge. And so for those who are faithful over little, God will hand over more as well. And so look in your life and your certain specific relationships that you have and see where and who the Lord is sending you to share this message of the gospel, to share this message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are your feet, the feet that lead you to share this good news of our Lord and Savior. So Paul continues in verse 16. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So Paul continues to talk about they. Now, now who is they? If we remember back in chapter 9, Paul shifted gears and focused on how the Israelites fit into this bigger picture of the gospel message. Paul then went on uh, to talk about how God has not failed the Israelites. All the true children of Abraham will inherit the promised land for all of eternity, 
all of eternity, just like God told them. And then so Paul continues and talks about how the Israelites try to attain salvation by their works, by perfectly fulfilling the law. And this is unattainable uh, for mankind. And that's when we see uh, starting in chapter 10, uh, verse 5, Paul offers a different method, a different approach of salvation, approach that simply takes faith. Putting our faith in God and his Messiah, a mode, a mode to salvation that relies on the grace of God. And so Paul, uh, he, he's talking about the Jews in chapter 9. Then starting in chapter 10, he opens it up to everybody. Talk about you and I as well and how all it takes to, to attain salvation is putting our faith in God and his grace. And then here, uh, starting in verse 16, we see that, that Paul narrows it down to the Jews again. And specifically, Paul is dealing with the fact that not all of the Israelites are saved and have accepted the gospel message that simply requires faith. And so Paul quotes uh, Isaiah 52 uh, verse 7 at the latter part of verse 15 when he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And now the book of Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came along. And so hundreds of years before Jesus ever came along, apparently there, there, there are these feet of those who preach the good news. And so apparently hundreds of years before Jesus, there, there were people sharing this simple gospel message with the Israelites. And it didn't start with, with just Isaiah as well. We, we can trace this gospel saving message all the way back to Genesis 3.15 when, when God, uh, when after mankind had fallen and, and we needed some good news, uh, God cursed the serpent, uh, the, the supreme agent of sin, the, the main enemy in our life. And he says, one day, there's going to be an offspring of this woman and this offspring of this woman, he's going to crush your head. Oh yeah, some of you uh, woke up. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> and so this is uh, the good news that has been shared with the Jews all along. And so we have this dilemma and these Jews who have heard this message of the gospel all along, yet some of them have not put their faith in God and his Messiah. And so now the Jews here, Paul is saying the Jews cannot use the excuse that they have not heard this. For this message has been shared with them. Verse 18, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And so the Jews, they, 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 they don't have this excuse of not accepting this gospel message for the, for the simple fact that they've not heard it. For they have heard it. God has been sharing this message with them for thousands of years up until this point. And so Paul continues, verse 19, he says, but I ask, did Israel not understand First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he, the Lord says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And so the Jews, they don't have this excuse that they never heard this gospel message. For this gospel message has been shared with them. And so Paul raises up the question then, did the Israelites, did they possibly just not understand this gospel saving message? 
And Paul doesn't really explicitly answer that question here. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some Israelites did just misunderstand the, this gospel message that uh, was, was shared with them. The, this uh, simple gospel message where you simply confess and, and believe in God and his Messiah and you will be saved. But the case being that this gospel message that Paul has, pre- has been presenting, it is so simple to understand It was so simple to understand that even people who weren't looking for God and his gospel message found him. They were were able to hear and they they were able to comprehend it. And all day long, God has been holding out his hands, presenting this gospel saving message to the Israelites. And yet they were ignorant they, they opposed, they were disobedient, and a contrary people to God. And so here Paul is saying, with the simple gospel-saving message, all we have to do is pretty much put our faith in God and his Messiah. And why in the world have so many Jews rejected this gospel-saving message? We have two reasons that it can't be. One, it's not because they didn't hear it. That, that, that excuse does not work for that message has been shared with them. And number two, the, this excuse, uh, oh, maybe uh, they didn't understand it. That, that excuse doesn't work as well. For this is a simple message that's been found by those who didn't even seek it in the first place. And so these excuses for, for you and I, they, they do not hold uh, much ground or foundation as well. For here today, we, we, have, we have all heard this gospel-saving message. And so we can't use that excuse. And for us, it's the same simple gospel message. Believe in God and believe in his son. There, there's not much to misunderstand there. And so we, we, we don't have these excuses. You and I, we do not have an excuse to not Accept this gospel-saving message. You and I, we are going to be held accountable to whether or not we accept this gospel message that Paul and so many others have presented for us. They have no excuses. These Israelites had no excuses. And today in the 21st century, the Church of America, we have zero excuses as well. They will and we will be held accountable to this simple gospel message that has been presented to you and I. And so Paul continues in chapter 11 then in dealing with the Israelites and dealing with these people, a large chunk of these people who had rejected him. Some may question then, he says in verse one, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected his people? And so here Paul is focusing on the fact that in the Old Testament, God established these covenants with the Israelites, and and these were his chosen people. And yet many of his chosen people will not be saved, as many of them have not accepted the gospel message, this simple, clear gospel message that was presented to them. And so has God rejected his chosen people? Well, Paul says, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And so Paul says, by no means has God rejected his people. This is a very uh, similar objection 
that Paul raised in, in chapter 9. In chapter 9, uh, Paul raised up the, the possible objection that some may bring up. Well, has God's word failed since many of the Israelites will not be saved? And we get a similar uh, answer to that objection in chapter 11 here. By no means, by no means has God rejected his people. God presented this gospel message to all of the Jews. And then some of them did indeed accept the simple message of grace and faith. And Paul is raising his hands and saying, here I am. Here I am. I I am one of God's original chosen people. I am an Israelite. I descended from the tribe of Benjamin. And I have accepted the simple gospel message. So no, God has not rejected his people. For all of his chosen people have this opportunity to put their faith in him and his Messiah. Paul uh, continues to elaborate in this answer, and he says in verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? And so here uh, in these next uh, following verses through verse 6, Paul is going to use the example of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament during the time of the kings. And Elijah, he, he appealed to God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And And so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, but it is by grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And so here in this example that Paul gives of the prophet Elijah to to clearly demonstrate that God had not rejected his people, we go back uh, to 1 Kings chapter 19. If we were to read through uh, the story of Elijah in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, many of you guys may be uh, familiar with the story of which a single prophet, Elijah, confronted hundreds of prophets of this other false god, Baal, or or some pronounce uh, Baal. And, and here, Elijah was faithful. He had tremendous faith in God and encountering these hundreds of other prophets. And, and the God of Elijah, uh, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he, uh, they, they, they were having a contest. I'm a competitive guy. I, lo- I love different contests. And in this contest, uh, Elijah gods uh, win as God provided a fire on this altar. But, but the, the God of all these hundreds of prophets he lost, for, for he did not the, light the fire of the altar, of this offering. That, that was his contest that they were have. And so in chapter 18, Elijah, he had incredible faith in his God. And then in chapter 19, in response to this, the queen of Israel, uh, Jezebel, wanted Elijah killed. And so Elijah then, he fled and, and as he was fleeing, running away to, to save his life, that's when he asked God, God, am I the only one left? Am I the only one of Israel who has remained faithful to you and to you alone? And God tells Elijah in, in 1 Kings chapter 19 that there were 7,000 others who had not bowed down and worshiped Baal. For God has saved a remnant of his chosen people who have remained faithful 
and, and serving him alone rather than, than all these other false gods that these people of Israel had been serving. And so God had not rejected his people during the time of Elijah as he saved a remnant of Israel. And really all throughout the history of Israel, we never have a nation where every single person is obedient and faithful to God. There were always those outliers within, and sometimes they weren't outliers. Sometimes they were the majority within the nation of Israel that was not faithful to God. But God always, always kept a remnant within the nation, within his chosen people. And Paul says the same applies today. Verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And so to this day, there is a remnant. There, there, there is a group of people amongst God's chosen nation, this chosen race. There's a remnant that has put their faith in God and have faithfully served him and him alone. But the fact that some Sometimes the majority of these people have rejected God. That does not mean that God has rejected his people. For God has always had a remnant within his chosen people that have faithfully been serving him. And so by no means has God rejected his people. And we see that very clearly when when looking at this example of Elijah Sometimes we, we may be able to sympathize and empathize with Elijah, and we may ask, am I the only one left? Sometimes we, we, we look at the world around us. We, we, we see the wickedness. Uh, sometimes uh, people not being faithful to God, we may ask, am I the only one left? Good news is no, you are not the only one left. God has always has a remnant chosen by his grace. And again, it all relies on God's grace. If our salvation was based on a merit of our works, then grace would no longer be grace. I love that. That that is so eloquent. Grace would no longer be grace. And so these last four verses uh, that we'll read here this morning, starting in verse seven, reads, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, But the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And so all in all, Paul's saying, all in all, a large chunk of the Israelites have failed to obtain what they were seeking. These Israelites, they they were seeking salvation. They were seeking to have a right relationship with God. But these people, they did not attain what they were seeking. For they were so focused on the basis of works that they were ignorant of this gospel-saving message that relies on God's grace 
in which we accept that grace through our faith. And so Paul uh, quotes a a couple different scriptures uh, from the Old Testament in talking about how these chosen people, their eyes have been darkened to this message. Their ears uh, have been closed off to this message. They, they, They can no longer see or hear God and what he was presenting to them. And so this here is the case of the Israelites that Paul brings uh, to our attention in the latter part of chapter 10 and the first part of chapter 11, where these Israelites, this chosen people of God, they had the message of salvation. They heard the message of salvation. And they cannot use this excuse that they, that they possibly couldn't understand this message. For people who weren't even seeking this message heard it and, and understood what God was saying. For it's a simple message that, that can't really be misunderstood. Whereas if you place your faith in God and Jesus, then you will be saved. End of story. And so if your faith is alive and well, Paul says you will be saved by the grace of God. And if you don't have a living faith, like many of these Israelites here that, that Paul is talking about, you have zero excuses. I wish, I wish we could have some excuses. But Paul's saying we have zero excuses. We have heard this message And we have to be ignorant to to not understand this simple message. And so if you do not have a living faith in God, then rest assured you will have the sins resting on your shoulders and you will have to pay that heavy burden, the heavy wages of those sins, which is death, an eternal death with zero hope. And so it's my hope, it's my prayer that we learn from the example of these Israelites, both the good and the bad, that that we follow the example of Paul and putting our faith in this simple saving message and that we learn our example, we learn from the example of these Israelites who were unfaithful to God and understand that we have zero excuses and we will be held accountable. And so the people around us, they have got to hear this news as well. They've got to call upon the name of the Lord. And Paul brings up the question, how are they going to call on the name of the Lord and be saved if they have not believed in him? How are they going to believe in him if they have not heard of him? How are they going to hear of him if someone doesn't first proclaim the message of the Lord? And so that person must be sent out into the world to share this message. And that person is you in many circumstances. God has sent you to share this simple message. How beautiful are the feet of you, the one who shares the simple gospel message. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for all that you have done. Father, I thank you for this clear, simple message that you presented to us. 
And Father, it's my hope and it's my prayer that everyone here, we put our faith in that message of salvation. And Father, it's my hope and prayer that everyone here as well, we take on that responsibility to go and share this message with those around us. And so Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.